This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by David Moore. Hello, David. Hello, Kevin. How are you doing today? I'm just spectacular on this crisp, cool fall day. The first day of fall. Very nice. Here we are. Yeah, it's even cool. Usually the first day of fall, it's like, I don't know, 100 degrees here. But, uh, At least 89 by now, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but we're in the middle of... Wait a minute. Hold on a minute. Who you are haven't been you introduced. Anyway? You can't. You can't speak until you've been introduced. Okay. Oh. Who are you? Who Kevin, are you? Let's, anyway? let's just go to the show. <laughs> That's what I say. And that is Evan Grant. Hello, Evan. Hi. I'm. I'm here. It's raining outside my window, and I guess that's the outer bands of uh, Tropical Storm Beta. Well, you know, it's always better to be raining outside your window than inside your window, right, Evan? I've had that situation too, Kevin. Yes, you have. I'm sure you have. Uh, Did you say beta bands? Is that what you're discussing here? Yeah. Yeah, beta bands. I, I thought that I thought beta bands were were something about your your wireless connection. I didn't know. I wasn't sure what that meant. Um, you know what you need to. You know what you need, and when you get some of those beta bands, you need beta blockers. Beta blockers. That's right. Put up the old beta blockers. That'll stop it. Uh, that's that's great. That's really funny to those people down on the Gulf Coast. They they think that's high humor. Middle-aged humor right there on beta blockers. Yeah, for sure. Very very middle-aged. Uh, so so the Cowboys they they won as expected. You know, uh, on on Sunday that game went down just like I figured it would. Uh, come down there. We looked over at uh, uh, Greg Zerline and said, "Hey man, what do you got up your sleeve here?" Uh, and he said, here, I got this little, I got this, uh, kick for you. Now, David, did you get to see anything like that in practice? Did, did you ever see him kick a ball like that? No, normally the part of practice we don't see where they're working on those kicks individually. We don't see that they're off on their own. When they do that, we see them in the, in the team setting when they're going through special teams drills, uh, did not see him work specifically on that kick. Yeah. What I, what I love is that now they're saying that, that, oh, that the John Fossil is saying that he got, yeah, we've got a lot of, got, I'm getting a lot of calls about this. Like this is going to work now, right? If somebody stands up there and kicks a ball like that, the entire team is going to jump on the ball. The uh, receiving team is going to jump on the ball at that point. This is, yeah, I've got a theory on that. What's that? I, I really do. I, I, I think that if you want, you know, you want, you go back and you watch how Zerloin just kind of kicks it. I think it, I think it literally took Atlanta by such surprise that that ball was in play that that's why they all brain locked. I, I don't, I don't think that that's going to work on multiple occasions. I think that's a one-time surprise element that actually worked against a brain dead team. Yeah. I think, you know, Brian Broaddus brought up a really great point that the, that the kick was also towards the Dallas sideline. 
So, you know, if it's, if it's toward the Atlanta sideline, you got all the Atlanta – you'd have all the Atlanta coaches screaming at these guys to jump on the ball, right? Uh, Fossil acknowledged – we talked to John Fossil yesterday, and he – while he didn't come out and say that, he laughed and said, you guys are on to me. So it, it was <laughs> it was purposely kicked toward the Cowboys' sidelines. Again, it's such an unusual – you know, he, he didn't use the T. Uh, the, the reason they call it the watermelon kick is because it, it's laying on the ground like a watermelon – oblong like that and 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 you get that sidewinder capability to it and the other thing is you know everyone was everyone was mesmerized by it you know in fact you know cj goodwin got the got the fumble but he could have it was actually about 13 yards and you know i mean he could have jumped on it sooner too i mean i think it, it was such an unusual rotation and was so slow and was so, so unlike other onside kicks that you were going but wait, is now okay? Can I do it now? And you kind of lost track of where the 10 yards was. But the other thing was, I think that made it work was those Atlanta guys standing around looking at it, those were the blockers. Right. (laughs) Their, their, their goal was to block for their return guy picking it up. And yeah, you have to, even blockers have to be aware to get, but normally it's just like a reaction. You know, it's like, hitting a liner back to the pitching, you know, back to the pitcher's mound. I mean, you just react and you do it. Normally the blockers, that's the only thing they do anything on onside kick. So they were standing there going, okay, well, our returner will know what to do. We're, we're, we're here ready to block for him, you know? So I think it was just, just a little bit of an uncertainty on, on everyone's part. But, you know, actually last year, Fossil did a kick similar to that, uh, when the Rams played here against the Cowboys, and it and it just went out of bounds. It was just barely out of bounds, and so Dallas got the ball. It was the same the same situation. When comparable, put the ball on the yeah, yeah, it was comparable. Yeah. See, that's what that's what's fascinating to me about this. I like to know how, how Zerline came up with this. Was it was his idea, something he'd been doing, or or was it something that that he got from Johnny Heckard? Because he said that they had they had practiced this thing together. The fact that you would you would just stand there, not even take a, a step. You just stand there and just hit the side of the ball and watch it curve up the, you know, up the field like that. I mean, clearly he's he's done it before. He's practiced it and he knows that he can do this and was confident enough to do that that it would do that. I, that, that it was like watching, you know, how you watch pro golfers and they they sure. do that thing where they're bouncing a, a a golf ball on their on their on their club. You know, clearly they've been doing this kind of stuff. A lot in there because they're bored stiff, hitting yeah. bucket after bucket <laughs> of balls. I need to do something else for fun. I, I'm just wondering if if he ever really thought this was the kind of of uh, onside kick I'm going to try instead of you know the usual stuff you see where guys hit the top of the ball and make it bounce up over people. You know all the other things that people try for this one to come up at this point uh, was just phenomenal to me. Well, I will say it was desperation and last resort. And so you get a lot of creativity in those situations. And you try things even if you don't know the, if they'll work because the, the odds of you getting it are so low anyway. I think it's like, what, 11% or something on, on those uh, onside kicks, even less in that situation. But you know, Fossil, one, John Fossil is one of the more creative special teams coaches around, and he encourages different ways to do things. Um, now there's another side to that, as you saw on the two failed, uh, yeah. punt, punt attempts. I mean, there, there's a, there's, you know, there's, I didn't think that was very creative. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, he said on this one that earlier in this camp, 
when they were all to the side, um, uh, Greg Zerline and Chris Jones, the punter, you know, Fossil just says, hey, let's try some different stuff on onside kicks. Just try something you hadn't really seen before, something crazy. Let's do it a different way and let's see what happens. And that was the one that stood out. Zerline did that a couple of times and, and Fossil and Chris Jones and Zerline went, huh, well, that's kind of interesting. Let, you know, can you repeat that? And then he started doing it again. And then they started to think that, well, maybe this is something we can use in a game at some point. But like you said, it's been used in a game now. And so my belief is this week they'll spend 20 minutes, get out there and go, okay, let's see a different way to, to go about this. What, how, how, can we, how can we throw yet another curve at, at, at a team that's ready, that's now seen this and will be ready for it? How do we exploit that and maybe go in a different direction that creates a, a different, not just physical challenge, but a mental challenge for people to figure it out? So now I want to ask you this, because this is very interesting to me. That uh, and this kind of dovetails with all that about about this uh, uh, coming up with this type of onside kick that so it was so radical and worked so amazingly well and enabled them to make this huge comeback win after after uh, such a terrible first quarter. Is that we've seen now in two games several decisions uh, made uh, either well obviously they're all approved by Mark Mike McCarthy he's the head coach which seemed to fly in the face of everything he'd ever done before or as a head coach with the Green Bay Packers. And, and of course, we know that he has, uh, uh, in his hiatus when he was out, he spent a lot of time in that, that barn uh, contemplating lots of different new things, lots of metrics. You know, and now he's had in two different games uh, explained to us, no, the numbers say really that it was better to go for it in that first game against the Rams on fourth down when you had a point-blank field goal that would tie the game with uh with 11 something minutes left and then in, in this game he said oh no we the, the numbers say that uh this was a was a good move to to try to uh uh at this point go for two with uh what was it five minutes left in the game yeah. uh and, and uh, the rationale was at least then you know you're looking at a one score game not a two score game if right. you if you convert there so, so listen, one of the reasons I majored in journalism, probably the principal reason I majored in journalism. You're so, so bad at math. So <laughs> I was so bad at math. So has anybody run, actually run the numbers to, to validate what uh, Mike McCarthy is saying here? Well, when you do that, it, it's about a preference, though, as well. You know, I mean, it's uh, because I, I think the argument would be two-point conversions are converted at about at the same rate, whether you do them in the second quarter or the fourth quarter. Now, is, is, there a, is there a statistical difference of when you really have to have one, do you convert, convert it at a lesser number? I, I haven't seen that. I think you're just looking at the raw numbers. So, um, but like we said, it's, it's a cascading thing. I mean, once you start looking at, at one percentage in one situation, then you have to apply it to okay, what about the situation that follows that, that you're presented with? Um, you know, he went back through and he was, the, the only thing he said he wished he had back was on that fourth and five when they ran Darian Thompson up the middle on the fake punt. Yeah, he said they, he, they knew they were uh, on the outer edge of that and they were pushing that. He said he wished he would have had that call back. But uh, he, he did not lament going for two when they went for it. 
and uh, he didn't uh, lament that first one on their own 29. And if you look at it, I mean, if, if the play was there, I mean, but you had, you had a bad throw and you had your receiver slip, uh, you know, put those two together, it didn't look so good. But uh, they got the look they wanted, and he would have been open there. Um, but, but, again, you have to factor in execution on those, and these are guys that aren't normally making those plays. So, um, you know, it was interesting, though. I asked him, I said, well, um, and, and see, I, I thought that second one, uh, when, they, when they were on the 43 or whatever, and they went forward on third and five, my point there was the defense was playing so poorly at that point I almost understood going for it there. But my question would have been, why not put your offense on the field on fourth and five and go for it rather than plunging Darian Thompson, you know, up the middle for five yards. If you were really, if the reason you did it there was because you were concerned about your offense, defense stopping them, which was a very legitimate concern because at that point in the game, Dallas had scored on four consecutive possessions from the second quarter to the third quarter, three touchdowns and a field goal. So Dallas has scored 24 points on four possessions and only gained seven points on the scoreboard. Uh, I mean, the defense was giving it right back. So from that point, I understood it, but not from the point of just plunging your safety up the middle, you know. Yeah, this this is the, my issue here. I, I, I'm wondering um, who Jerry Jones thought he was getting. What, what, did he think he was getting the head coach who was, uh, of course, had two of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the game at his disposal, uh, but had won a Super Bowl um, and certainly had a reputation of, of who he was, what he was. Uh, you know, there were no surprises with Mike McCarthy. This This is the guy – that everybody thought we were getting. And instead, we get a guy who apparently has been a convert to all these new metrics uh, and, and, and analytics. And, and uh, there, there was – I don't know if, if Jerry realized that these were all the things he was going to do and was going to bring to the package, to the table or not. Uh, now, now, look – the, the problem with these kind of things is that it's just a small sample size, right? You, yeah. you know, yes, probably over 20 games, 50 games, 100 games, these numbers bear themselves out. When they don't bear themselves out in the first two t- uh, games out of the box, well, then it makes you look like an idiot, you know, and, and you, when you're flying in the face of conventional wisdom of the things and the way the things have always been done, especially in this market where people are, are – pretty football savvy and they see these things and they wonder what in the heck is this guy doing uh he's out of his mind so i, I don't you know i, I believe that, you know when, when people crunch these numbers and they make them work then it, yes i believe in them but i think that they they work a little better in things like baseball where you where you're getting lots of pitches you're getting lots of opportunities where the numbers play themselves out and they become true in a in a football sense when you're making a decision based on the numbers say this is when it works. It's like playing blackjack, right? The numbers say this is what I should do, and, but it doesn't mean it's going to work, you know. And, well, and, well, and it depends on not just not just the person who's doing the play. It depends on, on what the five offensive linemen do. It depends on the receivers running their routes. It depends on what the other eleven on the other side of the ball how they react. I mean, you could you could have a great play and the percentages are in your favor. But actually, a defender can be out of position, and that's the reason a play that should have worked didn't. 
And it's not yeah. because they even made a good play. It's because the guy's out of position. So in baseball, it's, you're reducing a lot of that peripheral influence, I would say. You, uh, I would say. It's more isolated on the numbers themselves in those situations. And it's uh, um, so, yeah, I agree. I, I think the purity of the, the analytics or, or the analytics are probably a little more pure when you apply it to baseball than you do football just because of the nature of the sport. Yeah, you just get more opportunities. You know, uh, I, I, it'll be interesting to me to see if uh, if uh, McCarthy remains uh, faithful to this. If he if he believes that yes, this I really believe in this stuff now, and and uh, and this is what the numbers say, and I'm going to stick to it no matter what happens here. I'm just wondering at what point Jerry goes to him and says, "Hey, man, what are you doing? We we got to do what's right here. You're you're taking us out of of, of positions here to, to win, or you're putting us in crazy positions, you know. And and I think you know when, when we saw that in the game the other day, you talked about Fossil, and obviously he has a great reputation as a special teams coach. But you know those were obviously his ideas. He goes to to Mike and says, "Hey, how about it? Can we can we pull this the sure. trigger on this now?" And when you do this kind of stuff in your own territory uh, in a game that you you've already got out of the box. Uh, with, with three fumbles, it could have been four fumbles there in the first quarter. Uh, that kind of stuff just makes it, to me, it makes it look like you have panicked. You know, we, we panicked and we have to do something crazy now. I would, I would rather see a situation like that in a situation where it was a zero game. You know, like you're, you know, you're tied, nothing's happened. Okay, you want to try this right now? Okay, fine. But in a game where you're already down 20 to nothing, you know, or you're putting yourself, you're, getting, you're on your way to 20 to nothing, uh, I just think it, it, it just seems like you're sending a message to your players is that we're, we're out of this game and we, we're going to have to pull some really crazy stuff. Now, maybe the players think the opposite. I saw some of the quotes where guys said, yeah, we're, we're happy that they wanted to try things and they, and, you know, try different kind of things. Maybe most of them feel that way. And, and I'm, you know, it wouldn't be the first time I was wrong about something. Well, I, I think one that, look, it, it certainly bears watching because, um, you know, Mike McCarthy was criticized late in his tenure at Green Bay for being too predictable, for uh, not doing these things enough, uh, for not taking chances. So I think he certainly listened to that criticism. Like I said, his year away, he, he got delved a little more into analytics. Uh, but to, this is a very short sample size now. I, and I think it's been exacerbated because, because of that decision on fourth and three when he didn't take the field goal in the Rams. I mean, that really goes, you go, okay, well, wow, that's something. This game, I don't know how much we should read into it, because like you said, they were down 20 to nothing. Uh, they had nothing early. He, he was trying to spark them. He was trying to do something to get them going. So when you're behind, you know, Dallas never, as far as any time on the clock, the Cowboys never led in that game. I mean, the, the, right. you know, the ball exactly. went through as time expired. <laughs> exactly. So they had, they had a game where they never led. So I believe the decisions you make in a game where you're constantly chasing the other team are different otherwise. It, now, now, if McCarthy is making these decisions when he's up 21-3, then I think you go, okay, well, what's happening here? You know, but uh, he, he hasn't been in a dominant position yet. And, and I would just say the second game – was so improbable. Um, look, I mean, you know, the, there's so many numbers out there, um, but you know, they had a 0.1% chance, I think, going into that final uh, minute to win the game. Um, it was, you know, 
this was the uh, a, a team Atlanta scored 39 points and didn't turn the ball over. Uh, in NFL history, those teams were 440 and zero uh, into this game. Now they're 440 and one. So yeah. this this really was an unprecedented game. And so um, I, I think a game like that just fosters some unusual decisions that you wouldn't see otherwise. Um, but, but again, it's happened in the first two games. And now certainly you look at Mike McCarthy the rest of the way and just go, okay, did, did you come out of your one year, uh, you know, term in the desert, uh, a completely different coach, what's going on here. And, and that, that bears watching going forward. Yeah, I think there are two things. Uh, uh, well, uh, there, there are three things. As Jason Garrett always talked about, all three phases of the game that, that, that have been really uh, remarkable in these first first two games. We have seen the Cowboys finally break out here in the second game and look like the, the offensive team that everybody expected them to be, cer- certainly from the, the second quarter on in that game. Uh, and really uh, in spectacular fashion. I, I saw our old buddy Jacques Taylor gave uh, the passing game a C. I thought, you know, I'm not sure what how many yards Dak Prescott would have to throw for for him to get an A. I guess it was 700 yards maybe. If he threw for that, that would get uh, – Jacques's a pretty tough grader. You know, he, he took over <laughs> my class at SMU. I, I had no idea he was such a tough grader. Uh, so – at any rate, an, an unbelievable performance by Dak in that game. If he did was able to go downfield, I think the fact that they're they're playing with two, you know, reserve tackles uh, in, in that game, pretty remarkable to be able to do what they were able to do on offense uh, against a team that now now the, the Falcons don't have a great defense, and that's that's for sure. Uh, but still, I thought a pretty impressive performance overall by the offense once it got on track and stopped just handing the ball to the Falcons. Um, well, but hang on a second. I mean, the only reason they apparently got on track and stopped handing the ball off is because they got down by 20 points. It's It doesn't appear like that was a strategy. That was desperation. So do you not take points off for that? Because apparently their intent was to run the ball from the start of the game. Uh, you know, it, it that was, certainly was the intent of of, uh, of game one against the the Rams. They were they were just uh, they're going to run the ball, right? It was I was I was a little stunned by that. I don't know if that was based on uh, the fact that you don't have Lyle Collins, who is a great run blocker at right tackle. Uh, uh, you know, and and you got a a, a rookie over there. Uh, certainly in, in this game, you know, it's it's more difficult. I think probably. You know, most of us would say it's it's more difficult to uh, to find pass blockers than it is to find run blockers, and and certainly early in that game, you saw every time Dak dropped back, that you know he's got he's under pressure. You know, there were very few clean pockets back there for him. Most of the time, even on the, even late in the game, when he made some of those throws and that spectacular catch, uh, you know, by Michael Gallup down there on the sideline that that set up, you know, one of the, the late scores. Uh, even though it seems to me, as I recall, he was sidestepping rushes, you know, and and uh, and was able to step up into the pocket a, a couple of times. But I, from the standpoint of him just dropping back and standing there and surveying the field, uh, there's very little of that going on uh, at this point. So I don't I don't have nearly as much complaint about the offense, you know, which uh, after this game I've had plenty of complaints after the Rams game, not as much after this game. But the defense has just, you know, when you look at that second half, and I'm trying to think, 
it seemed like the Falcons did everything they wanted to do in the second half, and yet they only scored 10 points in the second half. So I, I'm not even sure how that happened. I, it, it felt like this isn't really true because every time that Matt Ryan wanted to find somebody, he found him. Uh, and, they only, and, the, and the Cowboys only had one sack. Uh, it, you know, you, you watch this defense now. Trayvon Diggs is, is being victimized a lot here, but by, he's my favorite Cowboys cornerback. At least he tries to get to know people. He's up in people's faces. The rest of the secondary, not even camera range, whenever, somebody, whenever uh, the quarterback drops back and, and finds somebody. You know, it's just unbelievable to me how, how little success they have breaking up passes, getting close to, to plays. Every time a ball is thrown to somebody in these first two games, it seems like they are wide open. You know, so and and then the linebackers, you know, another bad game for Jalen Smith. Uh, he's getting tackles, but every one of his tackles is seven yards downfield. Uh, he, he is he is not making plays at middle linebacker. And now this is this is to me very, really disturbing from the standpoint that they've already lost Leighton Vanderesh, and now uh, he has continued to play like he did last year, which was a step back from the year before. And then when you get to the defensive line now. Clearly, Demarcus Lawrence is struggling with uh, with this new defense that uh, Mike Nolan has come up with. He doesn't. I, I, I'm assuming he he's just not as effective in this particular stance they're asking him to do. He's he's always been in a three point stance, and now they're asking him to stand up. He's really struggling. And then Alden Smith didn't play very well uh, Sunday. Certainly didn't play anywhere near to to the way he played against the Rams. And the uh, and the Cowboys are just having all kinds of problems on defense. Well, I I think it. I think their lack of pressure up front is their biggest defensive issue because that should be their strength. Uh, this defense is going to take a few more gambles. It's not going to keep everything in front of them the way the Rod Marinelli defense did uh, because they're going to they're going to take some angles. They're going to say, okay, th this is a good angle. Go for the interception here. If, if you give up the play here, okay. We don't want you to, but, I mean, you, you, you got to weigh the risk-reward. So, it, to me, just philosophically, you're going to give up more big plays in that sort of defense. But what you need is consistent pressure, and they've got no consistent pressure. They, they got no pressure at all in really in the in the Atlanta game, no. and that was that was more disturbing because I understood it on some extent in the Rams game because the, the Rams were going with quick drops, everything were short passes. You know, golf only threw one pass of twenty more. 20 or more yards in that game, only one attempt. Uh, Matt Ryan did a lot more than that. They went deep several times, and he, and he had the time to do it. And uh, you're right. And But 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 to me, the, the defense has been so bad because you haven't had any pressure up front. Um, and, and with Demarcus Lawrence, Alden Smith, and Everson Griffin all on the front line, they should be generating some pressure. They should make it uncomfortable on the quarterbacks, and they really haven't done that much in two games. That's the biggest concern uh, in, in my mind because you know that's the strength of your defense. It's not the secondary. And so you're going to have to put them in situations. Uh, you're going to have to cover for that, and they're not doing it. The best linebacker on the field on Sunday was Joe Thomas for the Cowboys. It was not Jalen Smith. Um, no question he was the best linebacker in that game. So, yeah, there, there, there are some concerns here, and um, I, I – Two reasons in my mind Atlanta only scored 10 points in the second half, and you don't, you don't really give the Dallas defense much credit for any of it. One, I looked up late in the third quarter and went, 
why is Atlanta running some of these plays? They can pick apart this Cowboys secondary at any time they want, and they're content running running girly around the right end. Yeah. Um, you know why? Why are they doing this as often as they're doing it right now? I know. I know they're saying we'll just take time off the clock and all of this. Uh, and and very quickly, I mean, I'll say because this will probably feed into your point as well. You know, if Julio Jones hadn't dropped that pass in the end zone. The Falcons would have won that game. That was a beautiful throw by the other receiver, Gage. <laughs> right, yeah. Dropped it right over the defense. I mean, uh, and he had a clear look at it. And, and Julio Jones, so the one time they did go deep, they they won on the play and they weren't able to make it. So, to me, play calling and then that one big opportunity uh, that Julio let go through his hands are the reason Atlanta lost. And haven't you I, seen I this just before? I'd like to say one thing real quickly, and then I will bow out once again. Um, David, <laughs> for, um, to your point, I don't know if you're aware of this. The Falcons are not very good with a lead. They In, in some games <laughs> that they've played. Is there, is there one you can point to? Uh, none come to mind. There's, 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 a, there's a lot of examples. But in, in, uh, Maybe a Super Bowl? <laughs> Oh, yeah, 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 that's right, the Super Bowl. They were only up by 25. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they're, they're not very good. I, I think the best point that anybody has raised here, by the way, is um, I just wanted to go back to this. I, I, the idea of sample size on two-point conversions and when you go for them versus um, uh, baseball analytics, I think there's – there's a giant difference in sample size there and probably a much bigger margin for error because of it. And, and, and secondly, even if you compare the, a fourth down and three to going for two in that situation, you've got more of a sample size to, to pick from on the fourth and three situations than you do on, um, uh, on two point conversions in that situation. Cowboys won that game out of desperation. I don't know that they did anything right, except got very, very, uh, well, let me take that back. When they were behind, the offense moved the ball. I don't know that they did anything strategically right um, other than come up with a surprising onside kick that caught a team that clearly didn't understand the rule or was completely awestruck in the moment by the unique nature of this kick um, off guard. And I, I, I don't know. I guess my point in all of this would be, I don't know if I should be impressed or uplifted if I'm a Cowboy fan by this win. Oh, absolutely not. But I will say this, uh, you know, about the NFL. Look what happened last night with the Raiders and the Saints. I, I'm, I'm not – you know, I didn't have the, the 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 Raiders beating the Saints in that game. I just don't I don't have much faith in, in them and, and John Gruden and what he's been able to do out there. And they win that game by what? By ten? You know, and I realize that's a home game, but still I don't know how much a home field advantage means anymore. Um so not not in this season anyway. So uh, I, I do think there is uh, uh, something to the fact that in the NFL, you win a game, you take that win. You know, we don't care how we won, we won a game. And then we're, we're going to move on now. I think I think there are obviously issues for the Cowboys. I, I think that they're, you know, I, I was impressed that they were able to overcome the loss of two tackles in that game and to put up 40 points uh, and, and to come back like that. I think that was pretty impressive. Uh, 570 yards in offense. 
Yeah, that, that's that's pretty impressive. Against and, any and, and actually, 497 of those yards came in the final three quarters. Yeah, exactly. They did nothing in the first quarter. The first quarter looked like the Rams game, right? It looked like this is this is a mess. I mean, what is this offense doing? Uh, and uh, and you know, to to all of Dak's critics, and and, and certainly I, I see their points occasionally. It just it seems like sometimes that Dak will make. Uh, the stupidest throws are usually just the ones where he's trying to dump a ball off. I'm just trying to get this ball to a guy, and he's throwing it at his ankles. I mean, it's like, what what are you doing, man? Just just toss it to him. And and that's those are the kind of things that drive you crazy. But then he comes back and makes uh, a comeback like that one. That was a phenomenal comeback. Uh, and to 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 be able to stay in that game when you were down and everything was going wrong uh, and the defense is not stopping anybody and the special teams are turning the ball over, getting the bad, bad part of the field, you know, that's a lot of stuff to go wrong and to keep your head straight and to make sure that you're going to come back. That's, that's impressive. You know, that, that, that ranks right up there. And unfortunately, Dak won't get any credit for that. You know, because all anybody will ever talk about is that, that the Falcons handed that game to the Cowboys because they they screwed up the onside kick, which they did. And there's no question about that. But you still had to have the effort. And, and frankly, you still had to have uh, Greg Zerline kick that 46-yard field goal and right down the, 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 the middle. I mean, I, I thought this was so perfect to be set up to miss this kick at that point well, and they settled for a long kick too because they got you know they got cd lamb quick and then they just they just plunged elliot into the middle and they let the clock run you know i remember thinking don't they want a few more yards i mean this is this is still a 46 yard field goal when they uh, want to get it around 41 or so well that's i was thinking exactly the same thing and the fact that they were able to do that and that kick could have gone you know 65 yards you know that was an unbelievable kick right down the middle of the field so so Greg Zerline it certainly had a phenomenal game the the the, the onside kick was phenomenal just just to execute that let's forget the fact that the Falcons screwed that up you you've you, yeah. you just stand there Beautiful execution. And just, yeah. and you just kind of take one swing with your leg and there goes, the, there goes the football spinning up the field. It was like, I've never seen anything like that. It was like watching a, watching a guy play snooker or something, you know, I, I didn't, you it know, was mesmerizing. I mean, it really was. I mean, yeah. I, I think when you see something you've never seen before, even if you're a professional in the field of play, I think you're going, wow, what's, you know, and it's just, all it takes is a split second to stand there and go, what's going on here? And then you go, whoop, too late. You know, well, and, and, what and, happened to Atlanta? Yeah, well, and, and nobody else is trying to jump on the ball either, right? Yeah, and so, exactly. uh, so why would I do that? Yeah, well, Plus, he's I, not doing it. Why should I do it? I, I might, be, I might do something wrong here. Well, you know? and especially when the ball's spinning like that, I'm sure there was a, also a feeling like if I try to grab this, what if this ball spins out of my hands? You know, I'm sure there were a lot of, of, of factors involved and all of that. But, but, but going forward, the, the problem for me is is uh, is this Cowboys defense. Uh, if they're not going to generate any pressure, the, he's going to. Mike Nolan's gonna. I thought this was what happened in the Rams game. He finally started blitzing in the second half, and that's when they finally were starting to, to get the Rams a little bit off center. Uh, I, I think if this team doesn't start to blitz some more, if they're not going to get any kind of pass rush, well then they then they're lost because uh, because what is it that these guys would do going forward that they're not doing now? It's I, I all think predicated they, on pass rush. That's where their most talented players are. They, they've got to get better there. And, you know, I thought they got better defensively as the Rams game went along. And at the end of that game, I went, well, I, I think the defense righted itself. I mean, it's, you know, I'll, 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 you know, 
put this up to like, you had no live tackling. This was your first live action. Maybe it took a while to get your feet on the ground. Uh, they came out of that game pretty good defensively, I thought, at the end of it. But the, all of that, they clearly took a step back against the Falcons. Yeah. So uh, so going forward now with this with this team, David, now there's we've had a lot of injuries. Uh, we, uh, you ex- would you expect this week? Not, I know that's that's probably a guess, but uh, is Tyron Smith going to be out again? Is Demarcus Lawrence going to be out? I saw that he was on the injury report. Um, yeah, well, he hurt his knee, and that's why he played so few snaps in the second half of that game. Uh, but I would anticipate, since he was able to go, I would anticipate Demarcus Lawrence would go this week. Uh, I think it's a little more problematic with Tyron Smith. Uh, he had Stinger. Um, oh, is that they the wanna, situation? Is? Okay. Yeah, they wanted they want to get it right. So I think they they played well enough uh, in the offensive line that if there's any question about him, they will hold him out and and want him to get healthy for the long run. Uh, I think Brandon Knight played well enough filling in there at left tackle that they feel uh, while not optimum, they at least feel comfortable going in and doing that again. Um, but again, how often has this team in the past gone into a game without its two starting tackles and, and performed anywhere near what they did offensively? So that is like they did against the Falcons. So that's a very encouraging sign for them going forward, I would say. Yeah, I would too. All right. Uh, uh, we need to talk about a couple of other things. Just a, a quick note about the Stars. Lost game two, uh, three to two. Uh, quite a comeback after uh, give, uh, going down three to nothing in the first period. Uh, the, the Stars take too many, too many penalties. They've done that throughout the, uh, the Stanley Cup run here. Uh, pretty phenomenal that they've been able to overcome that. Uh, and certainly very troubling. You, you, they can't continue to do that. But having said that, I think that the Stars have shown in these first two games, uh, they've had one really bad period, and uh, they've outplayed uh, a more talented Tampa Bay team uh, the rest of the time. So I think this bodes very well for them. I'm sticking with my prediction, Stars and seven. Did you boys have predictions? Yes. I didn't get to make a prediction. You didn't? They didn't let you make a prediction? You, you were in there. I saw that. I, I predicted the stars in five. In five? Yep. Wow! So you you gotta make they gotta make a run for you. They got some work to do. Well, they, all they got to do is win three games. <laughs> in a <Yeah>. row. <laughs> Dave, David, what what did you have the stars? I got stars in six, and this is you know, again these are always the way they went through the first three rounds, and like you said, they would fall behind early in games and then take them over. And, and I thought they actually beat – I mean, Vegas, I thought, was probably playing better than them, and they beat them. Yeah, so, right. so, so they've beaten teams that have played better than them. And you, and you look at that and you kind of go, you know, this is where you – you always wonder whether you get caught up in a narrative before it plays out. And you always remember narratives at the end and the team of destiny, destinies and all this. And – and you look at it and you go, oh, well, they did this all the way through the playoffs. And you probably forget that, well, some teams did it through the first three rounds, but they couldn't do it in that, you know, in the, in the, in the final. Right. Um, but there, there were just so many. I, I thought that the Stars had one series where they weren't, where the other team seemed to be playing better, and they've won series where they were definitely playing better. So it seemed that they had won every way to get to this final. Um, and, and the way – Adobin was playing, it was like, well, uh, I think they're still in really good shape, but 
uh, they, they've got to get a little bit more scoring from some guys that they haven't gotten it from yet, I think. They kind of get scoring from from everybody so in lots of different ways. It's just kind of phenomenal how they've been able to do that. Uh, I, the thing that, that frustrates me sometimes for watching the Stars is that they they in their puck possession they're they're not great about uh, putting a lot of pressure on. They're very comfortable playing in their own zone. You know they don't mm-hmm. mind they don't mind standing down, <laughs> sticking down around their their zone and taking you know shot, smothering shots. That's kind of what they do. And then they'll they'll get a breakout and then then they, they get a score or they rely on the power play but they they can't continue to reply uh to rely on their on their uh, penalty kill though they've been very good at that but they're going to have to get better to keep this thing going all right uh evan we're going to have to wrap up with the rangers here we don't have a lot of time uh but i want you to talk about why this team continues to win when it needs to lose it lost yesterday well but it won the day before can't so it's 500. That's, 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 <laughs> that's, that's not going to be on what man. they're playing. That's yeah, not going to do I've it. Often told, as I've often told all the little leaguers I've worked with, you can't lose them all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can lose them all, but it's just not, it's not palatable. Um, this, go ahead. Listen, I, they, um, he, and I asked, I asked both John Daniels and Chris Woodward this yesterday specifically, um, because, we know there's a lot at stake for this team for the future. This is all about the future. Um, they enter this week with the second best, with the second worst winning percentage in ba- in baseball. And if everything remains on on schedule in terms of how they determine draft order, which is the expectation, the second worst record will get the second best pick. Um, there's no chance to catch the Pirates. The Pirates have taken losing to an art form. They are, they are the worst team of, of a generation. Um, but for this Rangers team, and, and for really any team, the players aren't going to go out there and try and lose, for crying out loud. The players are going to go out there and compete. The manager is going to try and put the best players that he has out there on the field to win. And what they have done, if you want to look at the idea, the element of tanking, is they've been more than more than willing to run a bunch of young players out there. And I think either tonight in Arizona or tomorrow, uh, maybe both days, they will run out a lineup that averages 25 years in 25 days. Um, and that's about the, the closest you can come to actually trying to lose. And they need to lose these two games to Arizona because they – have a half game lead on Arizona for the second spot. Um, tell, guess, tell, tell our tell our listeners who you think is going to be the first pick of the draft. Well, I think everybody thinks that Kumar Rocker of Vanderbilt is going to be the first pick in the draft, and I think that that's that's all fine thinking. Um, I love when you like prompt me, like <laughs> here, talking puppet. <laughs> Well, you weren't getting to the point. You're bearing the lead as usual. I, see, I, I mean, that's the thing is everybody, you, you've said this and everybody on my Twitter feed has said tank for rocker, tank for rocker. And I don't know that come next July that Kumar Rocker is still going to be the best, the best possible pick. Jack Leiter at Vanderbilt might outpitch him if there's a baseball season this year. Um, they both got really good sports backgrounds. They both come from – extreme athletic families of, of great success. Kumar Rocker, son of Tracy Rocker, now a coach at Auburn at South Carolina, was a great defensive lineman at, at Auburn. 
Lombardi uh, winner, Allen Trophy winner. Yep. Uh, Jack Leiter, the son of Mark of Al Leiter, uh, longtime left-handed pitcher in the big leagues. So both those guys have have strong uh, track records, and there's there's going to be some other guys that if there's a baseball season, there will be some at least uh, some consideration of. I, I I will say this. I I hope to spend a good amount of time next year in Nashville doing some boondoggle stories on the Vanderbilt <laughs> baseball program. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you'll swing that. Uh, I, I, but I mean, from the, from the Rangers standpoint, this, this series, the only thing I can say is look, they, there's a lot of bad teams in baseball. Um, the Rangers just happen to be one of the, one of the best at being the worst. They um, they've got a big series today and tomorrow with Arizona they they have a half game lead on Arizona for for the second for the second spot in the draft. Uh, if they've ever needed to lose games, they need to lose these two games on Tuesday and Wednesday. Well, then let's just carry that right on over into the uh, closing series with the Astros as well. Now let me ask you this, Evan. Uh, the last two years, the the Rangers have taken the position in the draft that we're we're going to go for. Um, uh, college players where you know, they've always been a high risk, high upside, taking high school players. And that just hasn't panned out for them in the first round. Uh, going with these college players, guys who are older, more advanced uh, guys who plan for good programs. Uh, I know you, you feel like there are, give us an idea here who might go on the top of that draft. Cause you mentioned somebody in our little uh, uh, pre podcast meeting uh, about a Jesuit player. Yeah, um, the shortstop, uh, Jared Lawler, uh, is considered by Baseball America in their, um, in their early 2021 high school rankings, the number two high school player in, in the country at this point. Um, and I, I am guessing that, must, that some of that would be based on whatever summer uh, tournament exposure some of these players had. Uh, he's right behind a, a kid named Brady House, who's a shortstop outside of um, outside of the Athens, Georgia area. And I don't know. I, I I don't expect the Rangers to go for a high school player that high up in the draft, and and with the amount of pressure that's on them to succeed. But certainly, there there's gonna, you're going to have to make sure you don't overlook anybody. Brady House is not any relation to Tom House, is he? I don't believe so. I, I couldn't find any baseball um, background. Tom House lives in Southern California, so. Yeah. Well, he's been around. Tom's been around. Let me tell you something. <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> I'm saying, as, uh, as, uh, as George Clooney's character said, oh, brother, where art thou? I have spread my seed. <laughs> well, I can tell you this. If you our old dear departed friend uh, Jerry Fraley had been around. He'd be asking me if the Lawler kid at Jesuit was, was any relation to Jerry Lawler. So, <laughs> was he a wrestler? Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, it, it, it's Jordan Lawler, not Jared. I don't know where I got Jared from. I've got oh Jared my from gosh! Come on, it's a local kid you're slandering now. Holy uh, cow! And, and, Law, and he's a Vanderbilt commit at this point in time. What is up with Vanderbilt? I think the NCAA needs to get in there and figure out what in the world has made Vanderbilt the center of the base, college baseball universe. 
they've got a really good program. Um, they've got a really good uh, and a really good, really good rate of, of of graduate of graduating players to the big leagues. I mean, it's just a, a and really all those SEC programs um, have really good good track records at this point in time for graduating guys to the big leagues. I mean, look at what the Rangers were running out there at the start of the season for a rotation. You had an Ole Miss guy at the front. You had a Vanderbilt guy, number two. You had a Missouri guy, number three. Um, uh, SEC baseball is, I would say it's the equivalent basically to double-A baseball right now. So you're getting those kids after they played three years of a very high-level baseball. And, and to some extent, I think you can say that for the upper level of the Big 12, too, uh, and maybe the ACC. I just think the SEC is deeper from top to bottom. I want to say this about Kumar Rocker, and, and I've only just seen uh, – obviously, I saw him pitch in the, uh, in the World Series, and I've, I've seen very little of him pitch. I haven't seen uh, Jack Ladder pitch at all. I will say this, though. I just like the idea of a guy who is 6'5", 255 pounds, and he's not a fat guy. He's, a, just, he's just a big guy with a lot of charisma, a lot of poise on the mound. This just seems to me a guy built for success in the big leagues. Uh, because I mean, that, I, you, you can go back, and those, those big guys can fill out and can get, can get heavy. I mean – Look, Lance Lynn is a big man at 6'7 and 260, and I may be under underestimating Lance's weight at this point in time. But there's a lot of people who are still betting that Lance can't keep up his his success because of the weight. Um, Joba Chamberlain was considered a, uh, a very high-level first-round pick, but there were weight issues there. But um, those, were, those were guys who were overweight. This, this this guy is just a big guy. You know, you you look at him. He's just he's just got a huge frame. Uh, and I, I yeah, I don't want a guy who's overweight. I don't I don't want. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm saying a guy. You know, that's the whole the whole feeling is is that it's to me like the difference between a truck and and a, a compact car. That truck is built with a big chassis. You know, we we I drove a suburban for nineteen years and three hundred forty two thousand miles. Oh it's, my god, again with the suburban stuff. Are you trying to get a free suburban? Maybe. Uh but it lasted a long time because it's, it's built on a truck chassis. That's the whole point of it. That's that's why they last so long, you know. And it's the same thing in the big league. They're always looking for pitchers with those kind of bodies because there are no guarantees. guarantees as we know about pitchers and they can all they're they can always break down and things can always go wrong but you're probably more likely to get a little more mileage out of a guy, a bigger guy who can, who can under, uh, undergo that kind of workload and not fail because of it. So, so you want a pitcher built like former Utah Jazz center Mark Eaton. Exactly. If, if, Mark Eaton, if, I if I could have taught Mark Eaton how to throw a curveball, then absolutely. Look at, look at Randy Johnson. I mean, come on. This is this is this is what you got to have, big guys. Give me the big guys. Let me just say this: if the Rangers and they're not going to get the number one pick, I mean Pittsburgh's magic number for for the for the worst record, I think, is three at this point in time. Um, but if Kumar Rocker was available for the Rangers, I'd be all in on that. I I, I was I was high on him coming out of high school, but I, and when I when I talked to Kit Bag about him back at that point in time. It was very well understood that there was no way anybody was going to sign him, in the, even in the first round with first round money, because he was going to Vanderbilt. So if Kumar Rocker is there and the Rangers can draft him, I'm all in for it. I'm just saying that 
Is Jack Ladder going to be the number two pick if that happens? I don't know. I have not seen Jack Ladder. Okay. I did rock her a little bit. Okay. All right. I know that he's he's also very well regarded. There are other players as as well. We need to find out who those players are going to be because this uh, the the Rangers cannot screw up this pick, Evan. They have got to hit on this player, barring some significant injury that they didn't know about, and it just it, that's just the luck of the draw. They cannot screw up this pick like they did the Dylan Tate pick. No, they cannot. And I thought that uh, I thought John Daniels' quote yesterday was um, came pretty close to again acknowledging that when he said that um, there are going to be good players there. We've just got to make it count. Yeah. Yes, they do. All right, fellas, that's going to do it for us for this week's podcast. Uh, we, when we do this again next week, the Rangers season will be over, mercifully, uh, and we can move on. It uh, it's been over. It's been over. It's been over. That's true. Yeah, just, they've just been on life support all this time. If the uh, Cowboys season is over next week, then we really have a discussion. <laughs> Uh, I tell you what, uh, that, real quickly, Dave. This uh, and I know this is a, bit, uh, a big topic because of all Here the we injuries. Go, the big Do after you the goodbye segment of the show? <laughs> yeah, this is the thing. Well, I forgot. I just remember this. The postscript. Do you believe that the lack of training camp, uh, hitting, and all the rest of it has has been a contributing factor to all the injuries we've seen in the NFL so far? Anecdotally, I would think you would have to say yes. I know there are surveys underway now. You have to analyze each one, but. The, the number of ACL injuries, uh, I certainly don't remember being collected this, this much in the, in the first two weeks of a season. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, I think there are certain times, that, you know, you, there are things you do to build up areas, you know, you know, around your knees to keep things in place. That's the whole idea. I don't know how much of this contributed to it. I don't know how much of it's, how much of it's just, you know, this is just bad luck. Uh, but it'll be worth watching as we go forward. Well, and, and very right. quickly, it is high-profile players, so you tend to attach more weight to it when it's high-profile players. Yeah. You go, oh, my gosh, everyone's getting it, you know. Yeah, when Saquon Barkley's out and, and his commercial just started, you know, and so now uh, that's 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 all up in the air. So, yeah. all right, fellas, that'll be it for me, and uh, we'll see you next time. Have a good one. Bye-bye. <laughs>